All right, guys. Hello, hello. You are listening to the Minding Mind podcast, where we live life with ease, connection, and permission to just. I'm your host, Evelyn Lavasser, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm sitting down with my good friend, my heart sister, to talk about self-forgiveness. And I cannot wait for you to hear more. With that being said, let me tell you a little bit about Miss Tanya Bailey Jones. Tanya Bailey Jones is a wife, mother, grandmother, coach, and transformational speaker. She's a retired Naval officer with numerous awards and commendations. She graduated from University of Maryland, Baltimore with her bachelor's degree in nursing and from Liberty University with her master's degree in nursing education. With all of these accolades and a successful career, you would think life was bliss for Tanya. However, it was anything but. Tanya's professional success was birthed through decades of darkness, depression, and despair, all shrouded in shame and regret. When God gave Tanya the vision of speaking on stages, she was excited and ready with thoughts of motivating women to rise to success from meager beginnings. However, that was not quite the assignment God had for her. Through years of trepidation, apprehension, and lots of self-discovery, Tanya is elated to now say she took the leap to tell the story God truly wanted her to tell. As the creator and host of Beauty Beyond the Ashes podcast with Tanya B. Jones, she is telling her story of self-forgiveness and reaching women throughout the world with the love of God. Known as the lady with the soothing, compassionate voice who makes you want to lean in and chat, Tanya encourages women of faith to live beyond the guilt, shame, and regret of their past choices and live in the fullness of who God created them to be. That just feels good to speak out loud. I feel light just hearing it. And I am so excited to have you on the Minding Mind podcast. Tanya. Thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm excited to be here, honored, and so pleased that you would have me. Thank you. Thank you. So why don't you... I used uh, my voice to introduce you, but now I'd love to hear your voice. Who are you? Who are you? And how do you think you became? Wow. Well, you said a lot about all the technical parts of who I am, but the, the biggest thing that I like people to know is that I am a redeemed and restored daughter of the King. Mm -hmm. That's who I am. And in, in that capacity, I can do all things in the capacity of being the daughter of the king, the most high king, I can do all things. And in that process, like you said, one of the things was forgiving myself for some things that I've done in my past. And as a Christian, as a woman who is a follower of Christ, sometimes we condemn ourselves. Um, even when other people forgive us, we don't forgive ourselves. Even when God forgives us, we don't forgive ourselves. And we lose ourselves in that um, place. And recognizing who you are as a daughter of the king, you have to come back to your intended identity. But you have to break free of the self-condemnation. And that's what I do. I help people to break free from the self-condemnation and forgive themselves. Mm -hmm. But of course, you know, that's a lot of work because you have to face what you don't want to face. And I mean, the thing is, right? Like it's, it is being on the other side, not, not that there's an end goal to your growth. 
because there is no end. I look at me and I never say there's a before and an after. I am forever going to be in the during phase. I forever want to keep learning, keep growing, keep elevating. But when, when somebody hears you speak and they talk about, and you talk about self-forgiveness and you talk about becoming who you are, when somebody's like just starting out and they're really like in the, the pits of that, like negative self-thinking that almost like self-loathing, how do you think that, how do you think it's best for someone even to begin the journey? Where do you start? Well, for myself, I didn't even realize that there was some unforgiveness mm-hmm. that I had for myself. I was just who I was. Like, whatever happened to me happened. Whatever I did, I did. And I became who I became. Mm-hmm. You don't like it. That's tough, right? But it come, you come to a point where things are weighing on you so heavily Mm-hmm. that you have to figure out what is going on. And that happened for me. And it was it came to a point where I realized I was depressed. I realized there was some anxiety. And, and I actually, like there were thoughts of not wanting to live, mm. right? It wasn't suicidal ideation. It was just, I don't care if I die. Mm. Right. And that's not a place of living. That's not where you want to be. And when I found myself with the depression, the anxiety and the thoughts of of death, I knew that I needed to get help. And that manifested itself one one night while I was lying in bed with my husband. And I just woke up in tears, just uncontrollable tears. He didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going on. But that's that pressure that came. And that night I told him I would start in therapy. And it was in therapy that I was able to identify that my past was an issue for me. And mm-hmm. my past revolves around um, my abortion choices. Mm-hmm. I am a person who has experienced three abortions. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had my first abortive experience at the age of 17. Mm-hmm. And that is where everything for me kind of um, derailed. I believe that's where my identity break came. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, that's a long time, 33 years. It wasn't until the age of 50 that this all came to a head for me. Wow. And all the decisions that I had made, the second abortion and the third abortion came because of how I felt about myself from the first abortion. It was all from Um, depression. It was all from a place of woundedness, a place of worthlessness. What did Um, you tell yourself? Like in those moments, when you say you were 17 years old, right? You know that we're not even fully mentally developed at 17 years old, but still you're shaping mm -hmm, who mm -hmm. you are and who you become. When you were 17 years old and you went through that, like, I know there's a part of us when we're younger, we feel like things happen to us but we also own a lot of like responsibility, even for sometimes things we don't control. Yes. What was like your self-talk like at 17 years old when you were going through this process? How could you find yourself in this situation? How did, how, look at the decision that you made to even find yourself pregnant. Mm -hmm. And then look at the decision that you made after you found yourself pregnant. It was all about, you did that. You did that. Look what you did. And then- um, later on down the line, you make another decision that wasn't good, whatever that is. And then you go back and you say, so see, you did that at 17. 
And then you did this at 18 and now you're doing this. So it could just continues to build upon you and you get pushed further and further down, mm-hmm. you know, into that, that hole of despair. Mm-hmm. And did that, you share that experience with anybody? At the time? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a whole, <laughs> uh, woo, yeah. Mm-hmm. it was just a whole thing. So the initial pregnancy was with my boyfriend at the time he was leaving for boot camp and I got pregnant on the first time that we had sex. Oh, wow. He left for boot camp. And when I found out I was pregnant, I sent him a letter, let him know that I was pregnant. He tried to call, but I was out of town. This was back in 1988. So mm-hmm. we had box recorders where you, you know, it's a little cassette tape in there. And so I got the message that he had gotten, you know, my letter, and he would try to call me back. So about two weeks later, I received a call from his ex-girlfriend and his sister, who was friends with the ex-girlfriend, telling me that they had talked to him. And he said that he didn't want to have anything to do with me. And the baby I was carrying was not his. So I'm 17. Wow. I'm about to leave for college in about four or five weeks. This was the summer after my senior year, Mm -hmm. both of our senior year. And so I was devastated from that. Like, how could he say that? This is what is in my mind. Now I'm going to have a baby and I'm going to be raising it by myself. I won't be going to college. My mom found out she hit the roof. And Mm -hmm. the only thing that I could say in the moment was, mom, I'll get rid of it. Not, Not that I even knew really what all that entailed. It just was like my solution to my mom crying, my mom, like we're poor. How am I going to raise another baby? You know, that was my solution to it. You just want to fix it. You want all that feeling to stop. I wanted it to all go away. I wanted, and, and I didn't even think through the entire process, right? Of what, what, what is, how is this going to happen? Right. So when it did happen, um, I don't have a whole lot of memory surrounding it. But what I do remember is was I'm not going to say now, but was um, very I, I want I don't want to say torturous because I don't want it to you think that it is physically torturing, but mm. it was mentally torturing to me. I'm in Louisiana. We didn't have an abortion clinic here where I live. So I had to cross the state line into Texas. And I remember any time that we would drive from my town past an exit, I would have stomach pains and my heart would race. And I would just feel something. I didn't realize that that was the exit that we had taken to go for the abortion until later on in therapy. But that exit would, would be just like, yeah, I would, I would have a visceral reaction when we would pass it, not knowing why Mm -hmm. until like years later. It's wild because even when your mind protects you from memories that you don't want to recount, your body remembers. That's what it was. That's absolutely what it was. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how to get there to that place today. Mm -hmm. Can't tell you, but Mm -hmm. I know what that exit meant. Mm -hmm. So what happened is all of that just compounded on me 
And after, after I had the, the part about the whole story is after I had the abortion, I found out that that was not the truth, that he did want the baby. Wow. That, that I don't know why they decided to call me, you know, but I blamed them. I blamed me. I blamed, you know, just, there was a lot of blame. There was a lot of anger. There was mm -hmm. a lot of hate. Mm -hmm. But six months later, when I finally was able to tell him why I had the abortion, because he was so angry with me, he didn't want to talk to me. Mm -hmm. But um, six months later, he decided that he would hear me out. So after six months, we were able to talk and I explained the situation, why I made the decisions that I made. And he forgave me. And mm -hmm. we actually ended up getting back together. And the trauma of abortion, one of the things that happens is regret. And oftentimes you will try to make up for the abortion. And what we did is we planned to make up for the abortion by getting pregnant again. Okay. So we, we, that was the plan. And all of the details of this will be in my book that's forthcoming. So I'm just going to give the the primary yeah, yeah. things, but I was uh, dating someone back at school that I broke up with during the Christmas holiday when this baby's father um, and I decided to get back together. And unfortunately that wasn't kind of what, how he saw it. I went back to college after the break. I had gotten off my birth control pills because we were going to try to get pregnant again and ended up having an encounter with that baby's father and I mean that gentleman and got pregnant with my oldest daughter. Mm -hmm. So not only did I make the choice to have sex and got pregnant, then had an abortion, then decided that I was going to get pregnant again. I ended up getting pregnant by someone totally different. You are nothing. You are the worst of the worst. Look at these decisions that you're making. So from then on, like it was, it was really me against the world, me against myself. And I carried that. And I will tell you what helped me. And it wasn't easy. When I went to therapy, my therapist said, you cannot weaponize the knowledge of the 50-year-old Tanya against the 17-year-old Tanya. Mm -hmm. And when he said that, I did not understand that mm -hmm. because my thing was, I knew better. Right. I, I knew what I was doing when I made those decisions, when actually I didn't, but I had carried that for so long saying, you you knew better. You you did that. You These were your decisions. It shows who you are. I couldn't hear it when he was trying to get me to to really understand that. So it was through therapy and going over those things that he was telling me and really paying attention and coming to the point where I said, you know what, you're right. You know, I didn't have all the facts. Mm -hmm. I made I made decisions out of a place of woundedness, a place of fear, a place of panic. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have good counsel. I didn't have resources. I didn't have what I needed at the time. So I made the best decision that I knew at the time. Yes, so I have yes. to forgive myself for that decision. Yes. And I worked at that. You know what too, though? I feel like you're bringing up an idea for me that we have we have that in our language all the time. I know better, right? <laughs> Knowing better and doing better are two totally different things. And yes. also knowing better is not just about the knowledge. 
To know better and to do better is layered. You're talking about support. You're talking about clear thinking. You're talking about clear communication. You're talking about having thoughts and beliefs that align with what it is you think you know, right? So like when we say now, even as a society, we know better. If we if if knowing better was the only factor in your decision making, we would we all would be healthy, better. happy and successful. Cuz we know what to do, we just don't know how to do it. Yeah. And everything that you listed, I had none of that. Right. I didn't have the alignment, I didn't have the knowledge, I didn't have the resources, I didn't have the right thoughts. Mm-hmm. I, I but but I had it now while I'm in therapy and I'm like, well, yes, I knew that abortion was wrong. And I knew which when I really look back at it, I didn't know that abortion was right. wrong. I didn't know that abortion was not the thing that I, it was me grasping at something. And to me, it was a solution. It wasn't an abortion. It was a solution. Right. So um, it, it was therapy it it was therapy that helped me to open up and ask the questions and have support to answer the questions. Do you think that when you were feeling the depression and the anxiety, was your husband and daughters aware or was it kind of like you hit it, held it inside? When I, so I'm a retired Naval officer mm-hmm. and I um, joined the military when I was 24 years old. And I excelled. I was commissioned within six years, was an officer for the majority of my career, accolades and success and just every everything that happened outwardly made me appear like I was like the best. I was a Christian. I was in church. I was attending Bible study. I was a a a women's ministry mentor and all this. But inside, I was still making these decisions and 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 looking at myself internally as worthless and everything. So so I had to do these things on the outside. And I always say I created this, this facade that was more palatable, but it was more palatable to me, mm-hmm. not really to everybody else, because everybody else saw this shining star. Yeah. But I had to create something that made me feel better about myself so I could go on. Mm-hmm. But then when the, when I retired, I was 45, 44 years old when I retired. And now I no longer had the identity of being an officer in the military to help me to shine. Mm-hmm. So I lost that mask that I had put on. I lost the identity that I had created. So now who am I? I'm this 17 year old girl who had an abortion and then turned around and got pregnant for the wrong person and then later on got pregnant again and decided on abortion and again decided on abortion i'm that person without the shine without the bells without the mask that's who i am and i could not handle that person you know i could not why? handle being her the the thing is like when you talk about this like when you have a thought in your mind and and you have this belief that is deeply rooted i am I am nothing. I am worthless, right? Your brain is wired to protect you. Therefore, no matter what thought you give it, it works on overdrive to prove it right. Absolutely. Every time you felt I wasn't enough, I am worthless. Your brain was like, let me show you another example of why that's true. 
Let me show you another example of why that's true, because you need to own this. Absolutely, Evelyn. Absolutely. That is exactly what happened. But you don't know that. And let me I want people to understand that you you don't. Some people do. But for me, it wasn't that I was verbally saying those things, right? It was an internal being yes. that I, I, I embraced yes. and it would just like be this feeling. It wasn't like, I would be like, oh, you're nothing. You're yeah. nothing. Some mm-hmm. people actually say that they let that escape from my mouth, but that wasn't my case. Mine was internal. So I had to prove it wrong by doing something externally to make me feel better, to make me think like, no, really, I'm not. So I'm, I'm in combat with myself. I'm That's in combat with myself. You have to protect, like you want, you want that shame and that silence to stay inside because you don't want other people to know that version of you. That's where the mask came in. Mm-mm. I can't really let anybody know this. No. So when, so when that night came and I was in bed and my husband was watching me have a meltdown, this strong, powerful woman who like can get up and talk in front of people and who runs this household like a champ and who everyone calls in the family because she has it all together he watched this woman melt before his eyes. He was stunned. And as we, as I did therapy, I remember having a conversation. It brings tears to my eyes. And I told him that, you know, my physician wanted me, the psychiatrist wanted me to start taking medications for depression and anxiety. And he said, baby, I would never guess you were suffering from depression and anxiety. I said, because I I couldn't let anybody know what was really going on on the inside. You know, I didn't want people to see that. Not even you. I said, so the anger that you saw, that was depression and anxiety. The outburst that you would see, that was the anger and the depression that was on the inside. You didn't see it in tears. You didn't see it in those things because that's what I identified as weakness. But if I could get control, through anger and and telling people what's gonna happen that was that was signs of something internally that was broken and not right it was pain Pain. it was pain escaping to the outside Mm -hmm. and and it it I have a program that's called unmask and in that program that's what I help people to do to realize what's really on the inside mm-hmm. of them but you have to be willing to untangle all of that that's going on and narrate the story of your life that mm-hmm. means you have to revisit it you have to go back and be a, be willing to uncover some truths about your story such as for me, one of the biggest truths, once I came to realize, okay, I can't blame the 17 year old Tanya mm-hmm. and I forgave her. One of the biggest things, which took me a long time was to go back and say the same thing about the two late, the two girls that called me, they were 17 too. Mm-hmm. They didn't know what they were doing. You've got to forgive them too. And when I tell you that was the hardest thing for me. But if I forgave myself, Mm -hmm. I had to forgive them too. I had to forget my mom is the one who took me. I had to forgive her too, because she was doing the best that she could. Mm -hmm. She was, my, my sister had 
two children in the house already, two young children in the house. And here I come with a third one and we're already struggling. The only thing that she knew was struggle. How am I going to do this? So she did the best that she could too. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of forgiveness that I had to do externally to other people, but Mm -hmm. it all began with me forgiving myself. So I said that kind of happened in layers. What? What? Layer after. And and Evelyn, if I'm honest, I'm still unpeeling layers. Mm -hmm. I'm still unpeeling layers. Mm -hmm. When when things happen and I feel a certain way or I have a certain thought, I'm equipped now to say, what's that about? Yes. What's that about? And I go through the process of unmasking it. What, what, What story am I telling? What what is the truth? about it. And if there's a, if there's a lie that I'm saying about myself, what does, where my Bible, what does this say? What does this say? I have to go and I have to find what God, God's word says in contrary to what the lie is Mm -hmm. and put that truth in me. I have to meditate that, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it's, it's a process. It's a process, but once you get the process, you can use it every single time. Yes. You can yeah. use it every single time. And because you've got evidence now, like you talk about you're on the other side, I've got evidence now that I can overcome this. So yeah. I'm I'm more than willing to face it. Come mm-hmm. on with it. Mm-hmm. I said in an episode of my podcast, I said, I want all the healing. I want all of the healing. And that's how I feel like, like there's always going to be something that comes up. Yes. But I'm so equipped and prepared right now. Like I'm ready to tackle it. Mm-hmm. And then I get on the other side of that and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm layered up. Yes. I'm, I'm up. I'm up. I'm up another level, mm-hmm. you know, in this healing work, in this forgiveness work, in this manifestation of who God has called me to be. I could never get on here and talk about abortion. I didn't want to hear the word. I did it would when I would hear the word, I'd be like, oh, somebody knows. Mm-hmm. Somebody's gonna somebody's gonna see that I'm I'm having this reaction and I would want to get out of the room. And and that in and of itself was a lot of work. And I'm talking to the person now who has had uh an, an abortion experience. Don't let anybody label you, right? Don't let anybody label you a murderer. Don't let anybody label you um, a post-abortive person. No, I had an abortion experience and I am in my post-abortive healing state mm-hmm. and know that you have every right to grieve. Yes. You have every right to grieve. I had no clue when they said grieve. I was like, grieve what? I did that. I made that decision. So why do I have the right to grieve? Mm-hmm. Because it is like you weren't loss. even allowed to be sad. That was punishment. Like, I'm going to punish myself. I can't be sad. I did it. I did that to, I did it. So how am I going to be sad? How am I going to be upset? How am I going to grieve? Grieve, you, you threw it away. It's a loss. You threw it away. But grief is about the loss. And and I went through Rachel's Vineyard Retreat, which is a post-abortive healing retreat, three-day, very intensive retreat. And that's where I was able to walk into forgiveness. Mm. Then the healing journey began. But it wasn't until after I realized 
I have to forgive 17-year-old Tanya mm -hmm. that I was able to say, okay, I, I need to get some help in this forgiveness. And I'm going to read something to you. Oh, boy. I read it last week on my podcast. This is from February 26th of 2021. This is my own personal journey journal. And it's from the day that I showed up to the post-abortive retreat. Mm -hmm. And this is what I wrote. February 26, 2021. It's the last Friday of the month and I am in Belton, Texas. I want to be free, free of shame, free of guilt, free of bondage. And I believe this is the weekend that that will happen. This is the weekend of healing. This is the weekend I find forgiveness once and for all. I am here to attend the Rachel's Vineyard post-abortion retreat. I hate that word, spoken or written. It gives me anxiety and pulls at something in me. I don't even know what that is, but it is something ugly that pulls at me. So this weekend, I will release the ugliness. I know God has brought me here and he is going to do something amazing, amazing for me, amazing in me. And what is to come is him doing something amazing through me. I am available, God. I am open before you this weekend. Do with me as you please. Help me to shut out any negative thought. Help me to focus on you. Focus on my healing. Focus on giving you all of me. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to feel whole. I love you, Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. That was February 26, 2021. I had that episode in bed, September 2020. Wow. It took me that long in therapy to get to this place where I said, I need help. I can't do this by myself. I need help. And it was at that retreat. It, it was at that retreat that I learned that I had the right to grieve. Mm -hmm. I had the right to grieve my children. And mm -hmm. I named my children that weekend. There's Isabella, Lyle, and Samuel. Those are my children. Healing works. Yes. It's work. So it's I want to, I want to know in this journey, right? You start therapy, you're, you shared with your husband what you were feeling, right? And, you know, what does healing look like when you're still managing your marriage, managing your home, managing your relationship with your children is like, I know healing is very personal, right? But are you sharing parts of it? Are you like, how are you navigating? Because the thing is, when you're changing, your family's witnessing a change. Mm -hmm. And if I know you, like I think I know you, you want them to recognize the change, but also learn from your walk. Mm -hmm. Like, what did it look like to go through the therapy, go through the healing work and still navigate marriage and motherhood? After that breakdown and I admitted that I, I needed therapy and that I needed medications and things of that nature, I communicated that to my family. So even my extended family, they all mm. kind of understood and respected me. I, I thought I would lose respect, mm. but they respected me even more because I, I guess I showed that I'm not superwoman, mm -hmm. but I'm still... Like, I'm still me, I'm still good, I'm still, but I got some work to do. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of stepped back from the demands that they put on me. Now, I had to work through that because now I'm. there was almost a sense of worthlessness because, 
well that that but y'all don't need me mm-hmm. like y'all don't need me to do nothing like how how do you survive without me and my therapist sent me to what's the name of the coda codependency anonymous i discovered that i was codependent you needed to be needed i needed to be needed that's what that was part of my identity like wow. i'm the fixer i'm i'm i fix things mm-hmm. so it's so funny because when my therapist, he didn't tell me what it was. He just said, I need you to look up Coda and agree to at least do one online session. And I did. I agreed to it when I went and they make you go through this list so you can identify things. Everything on the list was me, me, me. And I'm thinking he was saying that other people were codependent on me. So I needed to learn how to be able to distance them. That's what I was thinking. I was going there to kind of learn how to set boundaries to them when it's not. I got to learn how to set boundaries for myself. And I, I was so mad at him. I was like, how dare he call me codependent? I'm not codependent. Yes, baby, that that queen with the mask on raised her head, her reared her head and was like, I know he's not calling me codependent. I'm not codependent. Mm-hmm. But then I sat with it and I realized, yeah, you do have codependency mm-hmm. because I I was the fixer and to the detriment of myself, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. I think also though, I love the beauty of knowing that every, every step we take in this journey is for us, right? But it's not about us. Like mm-hmm. the work that you're doing, the vulnerability that you shared, like you release something for yourself and you also gifted the husband your husband with mm-hmm. like a new level of connection because now mm-hmm. there's a new level of you and you also release your daughters from having to walk in shame ever by themselves absolutely and the other thing if you take it even further than that what you did for your family by speaking your struggle out loud and allowing them to feel what they felt like when you you took the mask off of yourself, right? But you yes. also released them from having to compare themselves from perfect Tanya. So if they don't have to be perfect, you gave them permission to accept their own struggle. You sure. gave them permission. In your action, you gave them permission to recognize, I don't have to be perfect either. And that doesn't mean anything about me. It just means I'm human and I need help, just like just like Tanya did. Like one action, you gave everyone a gift. My oldest daughter. So as I was going through the process of the work, I knew God had called me to share my story. I knew he had called me to speak. But when he said this story, I'm like, no, we're not talking about this story. I'll talk about being a teen mom. I'll talk about that part. Yeah, but I'm not getting ready to go out there and tell these people this stuff, Lord. Pressing on me, pressing on me. This is what I need you to do. And I'm like, oh God, I, I can't. So when I finally surrendered and said, okay, God, but I need help. I don't know how to tell this story. That's when I started looking for people who were sharing abortion stories, ran across one of our purpose chasers, Latoya Matthews and Sana, and found Patrice Washington and started her program. So then I get to a point where, okay, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start this podcast. I had to start then be share with my family details of my story before I came and told it online. 
So the first person, one of the first people I had to share with was my oldest daughter. And when I shared with her, what she said was, I wish that you had told me sooner because I thought you were perfect. And because I thought you were perfect and I could never live up to that, I just didn't care. And I did what I wanted. And my baby struggled. My baby struggled as a teen and as a young adult. She's she's now 34 years old and we have the best relationship right now. The best relationship. Something I longed for from her, but I was trying to get it through demands of, of being a certain way. And so... I wanted her not to make the mistakes that I had made by telling her how to not make the mistakes instead of just sharing with her or me. Right. Yeah, but I feel like too, there, there's that part of you that was like longing for this connection with your daughter. Yes. And you're saying like, I love you so much and I want this for us, but also I can't really let you see me. No, I, I didn't want her to know because I thought everybody would see me like I saw me. Mm-hmm. I thought everybody would see this, this monster, this, this just depleted nothing of a woman mm-hmm. and, and, and just so shameful and bad. And that's mm-hmm. what shame says. Yes. Guilt says I made a bad choice. Mm-hmm. Shame says you are bad. Mm-hmm. Whatever choice you made, made you bad inherently. Mm-hmm. And that's how I felt. I felt inherently like a bad person. So I worked hard at at help, trying to get God to see me as good. I knew he forgave mm-hmm. me, but I just couldn't embrace the fact that, but you see me as worthy? Like When did you start seeing you as good? Um, and, and when I say seeing me as good, mine is always attached to the righteousness of God, right? It is probably in in... After this 2021 retreat, the year of 2021, my podcast came out in June. That year was a lot of work on who I was and really going to scripture and putting that in me and not just putting it in me, but saying it. I cannot stress how important it is for yourself to hear you say, I'm worthy, Mm -hmm. to hear you say, "I'm, I'm wonderfully made. To hear you say, I'm God's masterpiece, baby. It's so important for you to hear. And it's going to be awkward in the beginning for you to say stuff like that because you're fighting something. Mm -hmm. You're fighting an internal innate feeling of the opposite, but you got to, you got to work through it. That's Mm -hmm. where coaching comes in. That's Mm -hmm. where you need to undergird yourself with someone who can walk with you through this. Yeah. It's so important. And, and, and that's, during the year of, of 2021 and, and going into 2022, it, it took me that that long, a whole year to really begin to embrace this, this reality of who I really am. Mm-hmm. I am worthy. Mm-hmm. And when I look at myself, even physically, I see something differently. Mm-hmm. I, I used to would see like a wrinkle and be like, oh, girl, you can't show that. Baby, look at look at this. Everything about it is beautiful. That's right. Because that's how God made me. That's right. I am, I am, this is me and I love me. Yes. Yeah. This is the other side of healing. Mm-hmm. And I know it's so hard to imagine being there when you're, when you haven't started the work and the journey yet, because that's how I was. Like, I couldn't imagine 
being in this place. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you, it all begins when you've made some error in judgment as we all have, mm-hmm. and you are allowing that to hold you in bondage and, and shackled to the shame of your decisions. It's about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's about, and there's a lot of forgiveness. And, and, and as, as Christians, as women who know that God has forgiven us mentally, that's, that's an easy thing to do, but to, to give, get, let that seep into your heart. That's a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. And that's what God needs you to do. He needs you to embrace that you have been forgiven. And when you can do that, you release yourself to all forgiveness Mm -hmm. and you can begin to kind of work on forgiveness in all areas, you know? Yes. Yes. And I think there's just something so powerful about, listen, the journey is ugly. You can't even lie. I will not lie to a soul. Like I feel like uncovering, unlearning, digging, uprooting every negative emotion I felt about myself. That was hard. And it was hard. But like to come on the other side and to say like, damn it, I know, I know when I walk in a room, I bring light with me. Mm-hmm. I know that everywhere I go, I plant seeds for other people. I know that even if it's not today or tomorrow, those seeds will be nurtured. Yeah. I, I leave gardens in my wake. You yes. know, like, Girl, come on. I mean, Say it, that like, again. Say I, that again. I need to gar- hear that. I, the seeds I spread leave gardens in my wake. Like I yes. know, I know oh, that so every, 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 when, when you feel the way you feel about yourself today, other people can't help but rise with you, right? Mm-hmm. Like even the people who resist it, even the people who think that's not for me, you still planted a seed of possibility for them. It will open in time, but on their time, I get that. If I had to say, would I go through everything that I went through again to feel this way today? It's a resounding yes. Yes. 100%. 100%. And, and you're going to ugly cry. You're going to have some ugly cries. And if you try to do this alone, you will quit. Yes. Yes. We are, we are meant to stand by one another. We are meant to support one another. It is very hard to face ugly truth by yourself Mm -hmm. and keep going with it because it's, it's darkness is designed to keep light out right it's designed to keep you trapped and it's if you have to have someone to make you keep going because the darkness will get so thick that you you just like I will never get to the light Mm -hmm. I'll never be able to see that and you could be right there on the cusp and give up Mm -hmm. but if you have somebody with you saying baby I know it's hard but look at me, it's possible. I know it's possible. You find the strength to keep going. Yes. I that Okay, I get really triggered by that saying, it takes a village, right? Mm-hmm. Just the state, that triggers me because I feel like there is an insinuation that usually the village that surrounded you is the people that you grew up with, the people in your close proximity, right? When I look at that thought, is oftentimes the people in our close proximity that keep us stuck in the feelings that we're feeling. So yes, it takes a village. Yes, we are not meant to travel alone. But who's in your village is relevant. It's your it, it's people you put 
not yeah. people that were placed the village there. you choose the village you choose yes because when people say it takes a village you know you have extended family i know but also I know the relationships I've seen fall apart around me. I know the limits. I know the negativity. I know the 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 fights and the toxicity. I know that. And I I don't choose that village. Right. But right. I found I found the community that holds me accountable. I found the community that even when I'm not feeling my best, they remind me who I am and lift me up. That's it. Right? That's like, it. It's the community you choose. Yeah. And and I'm telling you, I can reach out to any any one of my community members and say, hey, sis, I'm I'm feeling even yesterday, I was feeling what was the description? I said the things that I know God is about to do in my life kind of feel so heavy and, mm-hmm. and I take a pause. But it's not a pause that says I don't want to do it. It's not a pause that says I'm gonna quit. It's a pause that said, God, how how am I gonna handle this, what you're about to do in my life? Mm-hmm. And I call my sister and she just like, girl, we here for you. Mm-hmm. We got you the support you got. What you mean? You don't have resources. Girl, I'm a resource. You yes. got this person and you got that person and you have that person. They remind me, baby, you're not doing this by yourself. Mm-hmm. You got this. Mm-mm. So keep going. You don't have to pause. Run on. I love it. Whereas some people in your village might be like, girl, that's too big. What you... Mm-hmm. Honey, I would. I wouldn't you do sure about that, that if I was you. You sure? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. I, I'm Tanya, so glad to have you in my. Me too. Me too. I feel like we could just chat all day long, all day long, and we can, um, and we can. I know. But before we before we wrap up, before we keep everybody here through lunch and dinner, tell me for like, what is the work that you're doing today, and how can people reach out to you where can they find you and then and then you could tell us about this book mm. well, the, the way that people can reach out to me is i have a website tanyabjones.com keep up with me on my podcast beauty beyond the ashes with tanya b jones that mm-hmm. is all on youtube it's also on all the listening platforms your apple your spotify all of that and of course, if you do listen, please leave a review, mm. rate, review, subscribe to the YouTube, please, if it speaks to you. And also, I have a Healing Her coaching program, which you can find on my website, tanyabjones.com. If you want more information, there is a, a link that we can do a call if needed. And the book, the book is a very new seed, mm. a very new seed that I am cultivating, but what God is going to do. My goal is to have the book um, out by June 1st. And this is the first time that I am saying this publicly. So there's some accountability here. So my podcast will be two years old on June 1st. So I would love to be able to introduce to you what God is bringing into this earth in the form of a book Amazing um, on that day. Awesome. Amazing. Tanya, I think that, I think that you see it but I also just want to say that the the journey that you've been on is like creating liberation for women everywhere. Like mm-hmm. just to know that the things that they go through, they're not alone. To know that shame doesn't have a place in their heart, right? To know that everyone will feel guilty at some point, 
but our experiences don't have to define our identity. Like what a beautiful thing you're gifting, right? Ooh, it gives me chills just thinking about how the work that we do just changes the trajectory for our daughters, right? Yeah. Like, and again, everything that we do is for us, but it's not about us, right? Mm. It's not about us. So in closing, I have to ask you the one question. Mm-hmm. And the whole minding mind movement, we're all about being intuitive, going inside, learning what's best for you, following your gut instincts, and being able to master that for yourself. How do you feel that your actions are changing your legacy? I I touched on it a little bit regarding my oldest daughter, but as I have done the work and as I have healed, healing pours out of me. Mm -hmm. onto those who are closest to me and it improves my relationships with my husband with my daughter and now they can begin their own healing because I'm I'm in such close proximity to these people Mm -hmm. that it that's the legacy of breaking the curses breaking generational curses Mm -hmm. and establishing generational blessings we, I think we miss that part when we're talking legacy and generational things that, yeah, we're breaking some things, but what are we establishing? So I'm establishing generational blessings by what I'm currently doing. I love it. It's amazing. I, I just heard, I don't remember if it was on a podcast just yesterday, but the gentleman speaking was talking about how we talk about love as if it's an action, right? In a sense, we want to fall in love. We want to be in love. We want to stay in love. We want to make love. But he's like, the ultimate goal in life is to become love. Mm. And I, wow, like just to know, I feel like I'm there. Like, I feel like I'm there. I exude love. I exude light. Like that's the goal. Let me, let me tell you what, what, verse that you are representing right now, Romans five and five, Mm. where it says the love of God has been poured into your heart. Mm. And that's what happened. The love of God, when the love of God is poured into your heart, it moves all of that other stuff out of the Mm. way and it transforms you. So now what pours out of you is not hate. It's not negative thoughts. It's not, you know, bleeding on people. It's not, it's love. It just pours out of you. Mm -hmm. And you, as you continue to nurture that, it just overflows. Mm-hmm. The, God, the, the, the love of God, Romans 5 and 5, has literally been poured into your heart. Amazing. Amazing. And I am here to fully receive. Amen. This is such a great conversation. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing your heart. Thank you for sharing your word and your vulnerability. And thank you for doing all the things that you're doing for the women in your life, the women in my life, and all the women who are going to be impacted from all of those words. So thank you. I'm excited for this book. I'll be looking for it around June 1st. We will see. Yeah, we'll we'll see what it's gonna, it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna be what it's gonna be when it's supposed to be. Yeah. But also, I'm here for it. If anybody wants to connect with Tanya, please follow the links in the show notes. And Tanya, thank you so much. I love you so much. I love you, Evelyn. Everyone else, thank you for joining me today for another episode of the Minding Mind podcast. If this episode resonated with you, please comment, rate, like, subscribe, whatever it is that you feel led to do. Your feedback helps me grow. 
in this business and as a human being. And until next time, I want you to go live your life on your terms and please mind your business. We'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.